Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 67. Today's guest spent loads of time in Sri Lanka as a young man, and this absolutely molded his philosophy on food. It's Mr. Peter Kiravita. What a gentleman, what a man, what a wonderful overachieving guy, beautiful wife, wonderful kids, great restaurants, knows how to cook, intelligent, makes me sick actually, but... (laughs) He is a truly awesome guy and a very worthy person to be on the wonderful podcast. But it's brought to you by Chef Notepad. Calculate your food cost and imagine your recipes. How good is that? So everyone needs that. You need to know what things cost in the recipes. Check that out, Chef Notepad. Everyone uh, should have Chef Notepad. If you're a chef, check that out, please. And if you're one of our wonderful chefs, check out our ordering app. It's getting better and better all the time. And, um, yeah, you can uh, keep all your invoices in one location, design your very own pantry list loads more check that out sunkersfresh.com.au so sit back now listen to these wonderful stories from peter kiravita welcome to the podcast peter kiravita how are you today mate good today good. is a good day it started off rough but it's good and i think uh it's all about opening a restaurant you know i've got 27 days to go and every day is different and every day throws up a new challenge but I wanted to do this and I'm looking forward to the day we open because I think things might get easier. Is this the world you thought you'd be living in when you were running around Sri Lanka in bare feet tasting food? <laughs> um, yes, I think so. I think I've always been um, I've always been driven and so that is part of it. And, you know, I was thinking earlier this morning, just four months ago, I'd go for a surf for two or three hours. I'd come back and have a... Nana, nana nap on the on the lounge and then throttled into work three days a week and that was my week um, it's changed a bit now you give that up i now, did give now it you up have yeah. an office in your kitchen yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're at your beautiful house thank you for having us yeah no worries no, i i um i gave it up because life is short and yeah. you may as well make the best of it yeah. and uh i still see that um there's a lot ahead of me and um yeah so and i think you know going back to sri lanka that is where the base gets set in your life, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think for my kids, well, there's only one left in this massive house now, but for, for the kids all, all their lives, they've seen us being like this, and I hope that, that goes to them and they become as productive and my older boy, boys are now, and that's, I think you, you teach kids by lessons, and I learnt a lot of those as well. You know, I think a lot of people know who Peter Curiavita is, but um, I, I do want to jump back to the to the to the roots because I do think that is uh, really moulds who you are now, and probably moulds a lot of the food and the way you deal with people uh, and the way you uh, give out the hospitality at the places that you uh, have worked in, and also probably sets the precedence of how you're going to operate in this new venture of yours, which is 28 days away. And once again, thank you for your time again today. <laughs> I know you're a busy, busy guy. So let's let's whip back there. You were born in England, weren't yep. you? Do you tell people that normally? No, just joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, I, I barrack for three teams, so I always win. Yeah, 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 right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who are they? Australia, England, England Australia, and, Fiji, and Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you spend a lot of time in Fiji. Let's go back to that. Tell me about the kids. I want to talk about the under-the-table stuff, the streets, the, the produce, uh, Sri Lanka. I want yeah. you to be a tourist guy for Sri Lanka for me. Sure. Well, I think um, to me still, landing in Sri Lanka, the thing that always hits me I don't like to say smell, but it's the aroma, the the earthiness, the the rich scents of incense and food and curry and the heat and the humidity and all of those things um, really 
that every time I smell that, and it's very hard to find that in Australia, um, it just takes me back and I rush back into my past and all of those things. And I think all of those things don't have one single bad memory. Yeah. Even even the bad times always had a, a, a nice silver lining and, and, and it was just a world of discovery. The first discovery was already being bilingual at the age of four, uh, English and Austrian or German, um, probably not the best speaker of, of the German language, but I understood what my mum said. And then arriving in Sri Lanka and picking up Tamil as my first language because the boy across the road was the butcher's son. And uh, the butcher is not like the butcher you know. It's a, 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 a kajan. And kajan as a word doesn't exist in the dictionary, but kajan to us means a thatched roof shed. So this guy across the road used to have this little shed with uh, coconut thatching on it. And every day he'd bring half a cow and hang it up there, sometimes still twitching, skinned and ready, ready to go. And so while he was there doing his thing, his son, his little son, who's about my age, would come across the road and me with my Cockney accent and he with, him with his Tamil language, we'd play cars together in the dirt in my dad's workshop. And uh, so I was just picking up, you know, that, at that, that age, you're a sponge, you pick up all these languages. And I was going back into the house and speaking Tamil to my Sinhalese speaking family. And they were like, well, where are you learning all this? <laughs> and in the meantime, they were speaking Sinhala to me as well. And I have to just mention, I've just mentioned Tamil and Sinhalese. Life was incredibly harmonious. You know, there was the Sri Lanka that people assume to know now and what it was then was so different. Um, you know, you'd, you'd yearn to go to your Tamil friend's house because it'd be hot and spicy seafood. And when dad took you to his Muslim friend's house, you'd know you'd all sit around and share a, a beautiful, sumptuous meal out of one bowl. And then, you know, the, the burger community, the Dutch uh, Sri Lankans, who dad always liked to have a drink with, had their own food as well. So, and we got changed together, we dressed together, we grew up together, we went to school together. There was no division like there is now. So that's the Sri Lanka I remember. And that's probably why there's so many great memories. The rest is, is food and the discovery of, I guess, coming from England at the age of four, I had the, f the, the fruits that we have now. And you brought me a box of memories last time we met, <laughs> yeah. which was all of those tropical fruits, all of those amazing um, fruits that brought back those memories. From another Peter, Peter Solaris, Fruit Forest Farm. Thank you for yeah. sending that out, Pete. Yeah, so up in Cairns, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we do have pockets here that resemble Asia very mm. easily and you can get all of that stuff. Um, and then and then that, that learning, as I said, we had the apples and the oranges and stuff, but when we got to Sri Lanka, all of this amazing fruit was there. And as they say, the grass is always greener, I remember maybe when I was nine or 10, someone giving me an apple and I, and I hadn't seen an apple since I was four and I thought it was the most amazing thing in the world. Surrounded by mangoes, rambutans, <laughs> mangosteens, you know, jackfruit, yeah. all of the soursop, all of this amazing stuff. So, um, but, but that, those lessons started with my grandmother and they were about not just the flavor and the quality of the food, but the Ayurvedic qualities of them as well and how medicinal food can be and how you should eat according to your diet. So it was, it was a, an immersion into a totally different um, culture at the age of four is perfect. You just slide right in. It's like, oh, it's normal. Here we go. But my older brother struggled a little bit. My younger brother was born there. He, his feet didn't touch the ground till we left. Every woman wanted to carry him and hold him. So he was like, <laughs> he, I, I think my, my younger brother still 
it has been affected greatly by that amazing nurturing from all the women in, in, in our family. Um, but for me, it was just immersion. My mum struggled a bit more. She was the you know, young Austrian lady who'd gone to England to seek her fortune, met a Sri Lankan man, traveled overland while pregnant from, from uh, London to Colombo and arrived in this house that had nothing. No, we had rolling electricity strikes when we had it. So the smell, you know, the hurricane lamp when you pump it and it goes, mm. that smell, again, goosebumps. It just takes me back to those memories of sitting in my grandfather's, there's a chair right here. It's called a Hansi Putuan, or um, it's also called a planter's chair. So the plant, old planters used to sit there and the arms swing out oh, yeah. and you can put your feet up yeah, and there's, yeah. a, there's a space for your cup of tea or whatever, your, whatever beverage you're drinking. But my grandfather used to sit in that with his legs up and I used to sit in his sarong. And all my kids, this is, this is Mark II. My dad's one is in the room yeah. there. It's, it's aged a bit and the rattan's gone, but um, this one's actually got Kuravita carved in the back and I bought it for our family for the, for the boys to have eventually. Wow. I got it shipped over a while ago. So that, that time of sitting there, hurricane lamps, everyone huddled around talking, you know, that nattering with me sitting in, in my grandfather's um, sarong, is, is, you know, brings amazing memories. And, and it was all about food and the family and it was very close and very, very intimate. And the fights and the arguments it all happened, but it was all family members, yeah. there were no friends. I guess there were friends, but they were relatives. And you had to know, this is your other, uncle's father's brother's, you know, sister's cousin's daughter, and they come from this area. And immediately that related to food because you knew, hey, they came from the tea country, they're gonna bring wild boar. Or they come from the south, they're gonna bring palm treacle and, and buffalo curd. Oh, so there's a thing, if they're from the tea country, not tea, tea equals boar. Wild so boar, because the wild boars <laughs> like to eat the roots of the tea plants. It's, right. a, it's a big pest. And then from down south, Kalutra and, uh, you know, uh, Martale and, and all of those, and Martale, my family came from, coconut groves. So they tap the, the, the toddy from the palm flower, and the toddy is like a, a, a wild a, a farmer's liquor. It's just this white, frothy liquid. They bind the flower, cut the end off, put an earthenware pot on it, and the sap that comes out of that ferments, and you strain it and drink it. But if you boil it and reduce it, it becomes palm treacle. You take it a bit further, it becomes palm sugar. And then the other side of it, if you distill it, it becomes arak, and, which is our, our national liquor. So everything had a place. Everything had, it came from somewhere and it was all, um, it all meant something. Every single thing we did meant something. And I think that stuck with me uh, to mean, to make sure that you do mean something every time you do something, good or bad. I love that. And I guess that there was a whole, you know, back then there would have been a whole different approach to, you know, sustainability. You know, the, mm. word, the word didn't need to exist because everything was so harmonious with the way that stuff got taken around yeah. and brought. And, and, and now we're, we're trying to scratch back to that and get rid of all these wonderful, horrible things. But let's get back onto your story because it's awesome. Um, um, the under the table, you smell all those things, your food, then all of a sudden you're 13, you get propped up and taken to Sydney. Yep. Sunny Duneside, next door to Blacktown. Um, I, I remember, you know, there's a few, lots of things I remember. It was a tough escape. It was, you know, we had to leave quickly. We arrived, mum and dad's friends were already here. They were in Blacktown. I can't remember the car, but I do remember that we were all piled into it and there were too many of us. So there was five of us, I think three of them, and it was either a sedan or a station wagon. So I went from Mascot Airport 
to uh, Blacktown before the highways came. So it was probably a two hour drive sitting on my dad's lap in the front seat. And uh, Uncle Roy gave me a, I was, cause I was starting to get car sick. Uncle Roy, Roy gave me a two cent coin to suck on a copper coin. Cause he said that won't make you sick. And uh, off. <laughs> what? <laughs> it wasn't washed, <laughs> came straight out of his pocket. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I've never done it since. <laughs> and I, I've been trying uh, to give up those two cents for yeah, years. Yeah, I know, I've got tons of them though. Um, but um, yeah, so it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a bit of a brutal arrival. Um, it was just, it was, I would say it's very hard to equate the thought process, but it would be like coming from the Royal Palace and going to the Wild West in in America. You know, I felt that our house, it was a humble house, but there were 22 of us. It was a big compound in Sri Lanka. In the family for a long time. Yeah. You were saying, I thought, a long, long time, the house? Uh, 268 years. Oh, just 268. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The family. I thought it the, might have been a while. Yeah. So a lot older than Australia. Yep, we got it. Yeah. Well, the uh, and, English discovered Australia. That's right. And this, this compound had 22 of us in it. Um, three houses, a large pitch in the middle, like what you're looking at here. It would have been at least this big. Um, you know, as you can see, the pool and everywhere. So we better tell people, how big is that? I, I have no idea. It's, oh, actually, I know, because someone was going to quote the, the, the replacement of the deck, it's about 110 square metres. There you go. Right? And so that was ample to play cricket, to have parties. The travelling um, the travelling cooks used to come when we had big events and they'd set up right in the middle of it. It was our cricket pitch. Um, when it rained, we blocked all the areas and it became our muddy swimming pool. It was, And all the oldies could sit around the outside on, on their Hansi Putuans or on other woven chairs, which they made. Like all, this, this weaving, my grandfather used to do all the chairs. Once a year, he'd redo all the rattan Describe chairs. that weaving so people understand what we're So it's, it's cane and they make strips of cane and this chair has holes all the way through it. Now, the problem in Sri Lanka was that the holes got filled with little insects that bit you like bed bugs. Yeah, right. And so whenever you went to other people's houses, you'd always take newspaper with you and very, very um, politely, you'd just put a piece of newspaper down on the chair when you sat down. Otherwise, when you left, you just have these bite marks on both my, legs. My dad would sit on newspaper all the time. Maybe it was from that. He Maybe. Always sitting on newspaper. So it could be. And, and the, during before you went did the reno, you'd have to... Once every two or three months, you'd boil water and the, uh, one of the house girls would pour boiling water into all the holes and that would kill all the bugs. So it's all got holes and it was literally a basket weaving process and he was so good at it. He, he was 98 when he died, I think, and he did it probably until five years before he died. And that was always a ritual. They'd bring it all and they'd bring the bundles. Obviously, other people could do it, but he wanted to do that. That was his job. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, lots, lots of, lots of great memories there of just, I guess, community. Um, but cooking, cooking was important. Cooking yeah. was so not. You know, we could easily track through your life, and I, and yeah. I, and I, and I, um, I know the story for some reason. But, um, <laughs> I, I, I want to uh, let, let tell me more about Sri Lanka because I think that that's good listening. And yeah, I think people well, look, love it. You know, like, and we'll, and we'll whip past that. That we'll, we'll come back to the other part of your sure. Sydney and how you ended up in Fiji. Cooking, uh, uh, sorry, Sri Lanka is it, it blows my mind every time I go there. It's the size of Tasmania. It has a history that dates back pre-Buddhism. Um, it has its own Aboriginal people, so um, the history is is rich and and deep. 
and uh, the engineering feats that were carried out during that time in the in the royal kingdoms were still like some of the some of the Indian um, incredible works of architecture. They still don't know how they were done. There was flowing water up to up to Sigiriya, uh, which is a rock fortress. Classic story where the son kills the father and overthrows him, and then the two sons battle on wild elephants and kill each other, sort of thing. Um, it is a country of so many, in many ways like Australia, but a miniature version. We have a hill country, which is very cool. Tea is grown there. And most people don't know that that was actually originally coffee, but the coffee failed. And then the tea was, the tea was planted afterwards. Um, around the coast, surf, white sands, coral reefs, um, deep water harbours. Trincomalee Harbour is fifth largest harbour in the world, was one of the most important harbours during the World War II. Um, still today, it, if you look at it from above, it looks like Sydney Harbour with no houses. It's got all the fingers. It's got yeah, right. a deep, beautiful harbour. Um, then when you go to the north, you've got Jaffna, a little bit drier, a bit more arid, but again, with its own culture, with its own food, seafood. So if you tour Sri Lanka and if you are a visitor to Sri Lanka, the one thing I, I tell everyone is it's... Um, we, we have a little saying there and says the rubbers of, the road is made of rubber because on a map, it's like, hey, from one end to the other, it's nothing, but it might take you three days to get there because it's smaller roads. Um, there's lots of, you know, stops along the way um, and you have to be prepared for a good road trip. But along the way, what you'll see is massive areas of, the, the population is the same as Australia, but it's the size of Tasmania. But you can drive from city to city and in between that city, you'll see nothing but rice paddies and uh, rubber plantations. There's even a town called Kajugama, which is where cashews come from. Um, everything's got a name. My, my company is called Singhapitiya, which means Lion's Gate. Um, there's, there's, a whole, there's a whole lot of um, uh, meanings to everything, and that's what I love about it. But the people are super friendly. The food is delicious. Um, if you want to be a vegetarian, that's the best place to go. I know Indians, people will say that's not true, and I agree in a way, because India has a much varied um, uh, mixture of foods, whereas Sri Lankan cuisine, top to bottom, the ingredients may change, i.e., you know, down south, lots of fish and tuna, up north, maybe goat and beef and, you know, th that kind of thing. The flavours differ a little bit, but most of the flavours differ per, per household. So if you're going for ambultial, which is, they call it, it's like sour fish, it's the way they used to preserve fish, it comes from the south, but no matter where you have it in the country, it'll taste similar. And so the cuisine doesn't vary a lot, but when, you know, if eight of us sit at this big table that we're at now and, and we were cooking a Sri Lankan meal, you would have five or six vegetable curries, two meat curries, and then uh, maybe a seafood curry, and then you'd have papadams and malum and chutney and raita and all sorts of things. So you can eat very well. You don't have to use oil in Sri Lankan cooking. Um, so it's a beautiful place to visit, um, sunsets on one side. And if you're a surfer, when you go, you can travel between the two sides of the island because the monsoon comes on twice a year on different sides of the island. So you could actually live there and surf six months of the year on the west coast and then shimmy over to the east coast and surf that big slabbing reef break that's Aragon Bay on the other side. So, yeah, it's, it's a and, – and oh, I forgot – Elephants, you'll get sick of seeing elephants. Like, and now, since COVID, there are more leopards than have ever been seen before. I've seen jackals, leopards, um, all the different monkeys, birds, 
Um, it's a bird watcher's paradise. Oh, yeah. um, What's that called? Twitcher. Wild, yeah. Well, you don't take them on cooking tours. It doesn't work. Because <laughs> they're like, shh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everyone's going, wow, I want to eat these. Are like, you going to do the tours over there again? Yeah, they're starting next this next year. Where do, where do people book them? Uh, World Expeditions. Okay. Um, so I've been working with World Expeditions for ages. And they're just, they're adventure tourers mostly. People who want to climb the Himalayas follow them. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, I'm a, I'm a level two. Our clientele is, is a little bit older. But... Um, it's still adventurous, you know, and I'm there with them all the time and we always try and go out of the way and it's about, it's about a discovery. And some people who've been to Sri Lanka before will still come on the tours because you get to go to my house, you get to go. I'm coming. <laughs> lots I'm of Book me in. Yeah, lots of different um, and really unique experiences. And the other thing in Sri Lanka I say to people, you know, you can do anything. It's, it's up to you. And Modern day travel is, is so constricted in, in, in the world. But in Sri Lanka, it's up to you really at the end of the day. And we've had a couple of 70 plus people who wanted to climb Sigiriya, the rock fortress, and they were physically not able. And so I got four boys on each of them, paid them $20 each. They carried them to the top and back down again because that was their dream. They wanted to be, they've always wanted to be to the top. So I'll make things happen. And it's, and it's part of it. I cook a lot there. And we get into friends' houses. Like the city of Gaul is amazing. Um, the city of Gaul, founded by the Portuguese. And Gaul, like if you speak to a Dutch person, they say it's not Gaul, it's Gaul. Um, and the reason that name came was that there was a, a Portuguese ship lost in the ocean. They'd come around the corner, missed India, and they were, they, they were heading down south and there was no land at all. And for some reason they turned and they were running out of water, they were running out of everything. And the guy in the, whatever, it's cuckoo's nest or whatever it's called up on top, crow's nest maybe, he heard a cockerel call and they went, gal, gal. And that's why Gaul became Gaul. And that was the city that survived the tsunami. The tsunami came into the city, washed around it, killed thousands behind it in the bus shelter and everything. But that, that city stood. And then after that, the Dutch came and introduced, well, they, they basically... Uh, were traders um, like and and Dutch like to leave their mark so if you look at I'm drinking tea at the moment this is a green tea mixed with ginger and cardamom but um, I drink a lot of uh, just orange peco BOP BOP uh, Fannings is the is the best tea in the world it's the best grade cut everything I can't believe I said no to a cup of tea before <laughs> yeah I, got, I, I could build a house with tea okay. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and BOP Broken orange peco. So I said, what, where did that come from? So the British, broken because it was the leaves in Sri Lanka, one of the last countries in the world where tea is picked by hand. Um, and the reason you, you'd pick it by hand is if you use a machine and it crushes, it starts to ferment. And then it's already fermented by the time it gets to the, to the factory. Orange, because the Dutch thought, what the hell, we'll just call it orange because mm. the Dutch are house of orange. And peco means pieces in Portuguese. So everyone had a go at it. Um, <laughs> and then fannings is the way they used to dry tea in the old days. The Chinese, who invented it five and a half thousand years ago, used to get someone to fan hot air onto the tea to dry it, to roast it. Wow. So anyway, there's tea, there's amazing food. There's Tell me about spice. I want to know about the spice. Okay, well, uh, you ask a Mexican because they use a lot of cinnamon in, uh, in their chocolate making and a lot of their cooking. Where's the best canela from? Sri Lanka. So cinnamon is, is one of the, if, if you link China and that area, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, a little bit of India, 
and then Mexico, that's where our flavors come from. If, if, if those explorers hadn't discovered those, we'd still be eating boiled vegetables. Even the Fijians, Fijians used to just boil fish or throw it on the fire and have it with root vegetables. When the Indians arrived, it became tasty. Not that, you know, beautifully caught, roasted yeah. on the fire fish isn't good, but um, yeah, so the spices there, cardamom, clove, cinnamon, black pepper, um, they're, they're probably the four big ones, but then you've got turmeric and chili and, you know, different, different grades of chili. And um, the, the spice range is amazing and beautiful. And to see, to see them all laid out in the markets is incredible. But my memory of that is my grandmother who used to make the, the full spice paste. So she'd make it for fish, for meat, for whatever. And over the fireplace, she'd have these balls, these beautifully colored balls of spices. And then when she'd make a fish curry, she'd wash the fish, take a little handful of that, put it in, no more spicing and adding in spices and stuff. And they did that on something called the miris gulla. The miris gulla, and I don't have one here, it's like that, it's like that uh, mortar and pestle, but it's basically a rolling pin and a slab made out of granite. And our one in the house, which is still there, it's, it's, it's cemented into, the, into our old black kitchen. The stone and the, 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 stone and the, the mortar or pestle have shaped each, each other into itself. So if you took that mortar or pestle and took it to another stone, it wouldn't work because so many, we've been eating granite for 260 years, <laughs> I guess. But there's so much you know, time and effort. And that combination of spices, when you make it like that, is incredible. Wow. Yeah, there's like there's it is a truly beautiful country that I um I miss so much. Can't wait to get back. I, I, as soon as we talked about this new tour, um, I was pretty excited because it means I'm going back. When is it? Uh, October. Okay. It's always in October, and up until COVID, here's 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 a silver lining for you. Up until COVID, I haven't I missed every one of my birthdays from the age of about forty five because I was always overseas. So I miss mine and my oldest son's for the last, you know, God knows, 10, 15 years. Um, so, yeah, I've had two good birthdays here. and I'm share a birthday? No, he's two. My oldest son is on the 18th and I'm the 22nd. Yeah, so he was. And he was born, actually, on the day I opened a 400-room hotel. Oh, yours is the 22nd, is it? Yeah. October. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's beautiful. Um, well... We could talk about Sri Lanka forever, and I, and I do love it, and I think people should probably just book one of your tours now. Mm. But, um, um, and we should just do a big chef one there too one day. Just take a heap of chefs. Well, right, I've done that. Oh, so, but, but let's do it. idea. No, 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 no. It's a great idea, because, but what we did it was I did it three times with Dilmar Forti. Right. So the first one was Australia, and I took eight chefs from around Australia, and we went there and showed them the, hum the humanitarian side of life. I think it changed them all deeply. Um, and I think it's something that, that everyone needs a little bit of. You, you get a bit of a, sh a, a shake up, you know, I was reading about the new chefs in, you know, in, in one of the papers and it's great. It's great to be a good chef. It's great to work hard. It's great to achieve all the things you achieve. But the thing I noticed in all three of those, the first one was Australia, the second one was Europe, and then the third one was the world. So we had guys from Saudi, from Africa, from everywhere, normally eight people. A crazy, crazy bus trip. You can imagine nine chefs in a bus, me leading them, teaching them about Sri Lanka. It was pretty crazy. Um, but what we did do is we took them to, you know, they cooked at, at, a, at a, there's a, there's a school for the deaf and blind um, in Sri Lanka, which is, which is um, sponsored by Dilma. And 
we took them there for a day. And the first thing we did was play cricket against the blind cricket team. They are the world champions. These guys, my God, they would beat an average cricket team here. So they have a ball that's full of ball bearings. Mm-hmm. The batsmen could be 100% blind. Everyone's differently abled. So they have different, different levels. Some are fully blind, some can't hear, some can't see, whatever. Um, so the, the batsman or the bowler could be 100% blind. The wicketkeeper might not be able to hear, but he can see. So he stands behind the wickets and this guy thunders in like a, like a bloody fast bowler and this ball, and the batsman could be blind too. So this ball <laughs> whistles through the air with the ball bearings in it going, and he flogs the skin off it. So we put all the chefs in the pitch, in the field, um, and gave them different masks and, you know, different, di- different fake disabilities. It was hilarious. To see this ball coming through the air or not see the ball, just hearing it, you just duck because it's like a missile coming your way. So just bringing the humanity out of people and teaching people how to be real and what's important in life. And I think that's that's a lesson in life every day. And and, uh, those kind of things is what I try and base every day on. Wow. Even even today when I had the shits about about a thing we're going through and before just before you came i wrote an email to the team and just said sorry i shouldn't have put that on you it's my fault and it's nice just to clear that move on and i think one of them wrote back and said one dream one team and that's what it's about one band one sound that's That's what they say at work i like that (laughs) but it is it's true you know that's that that philosophy should always be with you because no matter what you're doing no matter how stressful your life is you need to you need to really i don't know Little things don't matter. Yeah. Well, let's get on to the Peter Kiravita story again, uh, just to keep us going. But um, we, you, you ended up in Sydney. You, 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 was, you told me before about people bringing plants. Was it pennywort or? Yeah, pennywort. I've actually got a bag full in the. I'm trying to grow it here, but there's too much sand. But you brought me some, and that's amazing. I mean, pennywort gotukola is one of these one of these um, superfoods that that people don't realise until now where you walk into a supermarket, in the middle of the supermarket, they're selling gotukola, turmeric and all of these things. Mm. And our family consume that on a daily basis. But going back to what I said before, it was, it was medicinal. Yeah, that's turmeric. That's turmeric this morning. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it was medicinal. It, 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 there was a reason behind it. My grandmother had this paste that she pasted on me whenever I got cut and I never got infected in Sri Lanka. Um, we ate vegetables for that reason. And so... To be able to then get that here and to use it in the same way is, is pretty amazing. It's it is. I think that, that that's a real big opening opportunity still. You know, there's so much to learn. And I think we have to go back to Sri Lanka just to even get close to stuff. So, so we're going, right? Yeah, we are. <laughs> I, I'll shake on that right now. Got it. We're going. Done. Okay. I love that. I love it. Yeah. Because it is. It's a, like the, the walking through the markets there is just such a discovery. Oh, well, yeah. that reminds me of a story I have told you before. When yeah. I went out to the, in Vanuatu, which we, we will talk about it in a, few, in a minute, I was at the market and uh, I see the guy selling the, uh, you know, the iceberg lettuce. And I went up and I said, hey, um, you know, in Australia we call this iceberg. And he said, oh, uh, in Vanuatu, we call it lettuce. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll never forget just being, you got me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so well, you, you, we, you we, no, we arrived. We arrived with a lot of things that because the 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 thing was that you know, rightly so, our family just said you'll never find anything there. So there was all kinds of stuff in that in those bags. 
um, <laughs> bit of wild boar, lots of spices, Maldive fish. Um, but the, the pennywort itself, it wasn't just us. I think a lot of Sri Lankans, as they arrived into the country during the 60s and 70s, were bringing pennywort plants with them. And apparently the government picked this up and they decided that when Sri Lankans came to Australia, they would gift them with some pennywort so they didn't bring the dirty soil into the country. Yeah. And it's still around. It grows like a weed unless you live in sand. You know, and, and like <laughs> the trouble all, of living at the beach. Oh, I know. But with all, this, um, with all this rain now, even my, mine is starting to grow. But it never. they say two leaves a day. I always go out on my little round. I always just pick a couple of leaves and nibble on them every morning when I get up. Um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, Did you plant them? Huh? Did you plant them? Is this? Yeah, a, yeah. I bought it. I bought them at Bunnings. Yeah, right. Uh, it took yeah. about three months for the for them. I've forgotten about them. I got a phone call. Said, "Oh, your plants here." Yes. And so I've been just been caring. It's for actually it. a little bit of a secret of Suncoast. I quite often be ringing Bunnings. So someone, you know, as simple as a marigold. I need a marigold flowers for one punnet for some crazy person. Yeah. Like, yep. They'll have them at Bunnings. <laughs> they do. It's it's incredible. I think that whatever whatever program they have there for for plants is really really good. Mm. Mm. Pennywort. So they were bringing that sort of stuff out. You ended up in Sydney. You got a bit uh, hassled at school. You didn't really like school. You loved cooking. Do you go back to year twelve, or does Dad drop you somewhere? No, I didn't go to year twelve. I left before year ten. Yep. Um, and Dad took me to our um, local restaurant. He didn't take me. We drove there. We drove past it every day. Didn't even click. You know, I think, you know, you've got to imagine this, this little boy who, who lived like a prince and turned up into a country where you, were, you, you had to fight every day for your life. Um, nothing really occurred to me. Nothing really was in physically, my mind. You were physically fighting a bit at school. Oh, I was, yeah, yeah. I didn't mind it. But my dad gave me the permission. It was like, it's up to you. You can fight. Or you can, or you can stand. You know, you, you don't have to. It's up to you. I respect you either way. Yeah. Um, I decided to fight. It was a, it was a, um, a choice, and a choice that, that actually, because my my both my parents were, um, one was a gymnast, the other was a wrestler, um, so so the physical fitness side was always part of our life, and you know, wrestling dad, he used to sit in that chair, and he could fight all three of us off until one day. <laughs> We picked him up and held him over our head, and that was that was the end of his rule. Um, yeah, over the son <laughs> it, takes over the throne. Yeah, it took a while. We never <laughs> sat in it. Even many years after he died, no one ever sat in that chair. Now it's sitting around the corner. I had it here for many years, and but yeah, no one ever sat in that chair. Um, so yeah, it was it was a little bit hard. And da- so dad dad was a played a big part, a big role in my life. Um, just advice and you know conversations under cars and. There's a couple of motorcycles in there and another two under the house and they're all part of that, you know, repairing things because repairing things to me was very therapeutic. Uh, anything from doing the plumbing to replacing walls and building sheds and he always repaired motorcycles and cars and sold them out the front of the house. Um, and there were people after many years after he died would knock on mum's door and go, I, was, uh, I bought a car off your husband and I was going to buy one for my son. Um, it's like, you know, that's all over. Um, but so we're driving down our local suburb and he looked at me cause I'd left school. He didn't like that. Everyone else is highly educated, uh, but he accepted it. And he said to me, you like cooking with your grandmother? And I said, yes. And, uh, I had no idea what was going on. And he just stopped outside this little restaurant called the crab apple. And uh, said, go in and ask for a job. 
and it wasn't my first choice. So it wasn't I, I didn't want to do it, but I had two choices, go and ask or sleep in the street that night. So <laughs> I thought I'd go and ask. And uh, the young chef, Scott Milray, just opened the door and said, well, we were thinking about an apprentice. I went in. Um, they gave me a knife, which was a positive start. And uh, I started cutting garlic bread, I remember it clearly, cutting garlic bread. Um, and it was just, it was, it was, I don't know, I just loved it. I, I was quick, I was fast, I, I enjoyed it, I enjoyed this. And it was, it was a nurturing, it was a nurturing um, uh, environment as well. It was mum, dad, the Milrays, and dad used to be a boxer, old I can't remember his name now, but he was always a bit upright, balding man, very thin and fit. Um, and then his two daughters and son and their partners. So there's like a lot of people in this place. And uh, we all were in there together. Mum and Dad were washing the dishes. And uh, I, I very quickly learnt all of the sections and enjoyed it. And many didn't change much. Um, we had to defrost the the Burmese barramundi which weighed about one fillet weighed about twenty kilos in the in the bathtub in the backyard. Um, Alfred the the guy in the Chinese restaurant next door. Oh God, we did some terrible things to that poor man. He uh, he loved his car. He had the most beautiful Valiant Pacer. It was absolutely stunning. He used to wash it every day. So one night we snuck out after work, popped a hubcap off, and put three prawn heads in there. <laughs> and so As these guys washing the car every day from then on, trying to figure out where the smell's coming. And we used to watch him from the thing, opening it, trying to smell. And eventually, you know, the smell went, but that was hilarious. Um, but I learned Michael Jackson's Off the Wall had just come out. T for the Tillerman was the number one album. Um, I was very good at doing Cossack dances for some reason because of my mum, I guess. My knees have paid for it now. Um, but I, I just learned, I learned knife skills. I learned life skills. I, I moved out of home very quickly. Um, so it was literally across the road from the restaurant, which was a five minute walk from our home. Cause that's where Scott, the chef lived. And so then, you know, I had a bit of freedom at the age of 16 or 15 and a half. Um, I got my L's at 16. Um, then dad lent me his HR panel van. So I had a bit of freedom. I don't, I think I might have told him, but what, one of our fun, favorite things was get to the top of Mort's Road because there was no one there in those days, no speed humps. I'm flying down in this HR station wagon and then put it into reverse just to see how it went. It seemed to handle quite well. <laughs> we also skateboarded down that hill. We did all kinds of stuff. It was just, it was just a coming of age, you know, yeah. but, uh, but in a, it's still a family environment. Um, and we'd go to the Milray's house. Um, on the weekends and, you know, eventually I moved into that house and then I moved out and I moved to um, Sydney after answering a two-line ad. Um, so I think by the time I was 17, I was living in Bondi with two chefs, paying $20 a week, working seven days a week in three different restaurants, learning my skill, learning my craft and meeting so many incredible people. Um, but a goal, it was my goal was always set and it was set the minute after I got that job, the next day I walked in and as I was, got to the front door, I could smell. You, you know when a restaurant's sleeping, it has a smell, um, especially the old school restaurants, you know, maybe the carpet needed cleaning a bit. Mm. There was a bit of oil smell. This, it mm. just, a, a sleeping restaurant has, has a certain aroma. I wouldn't say smell. And as I walked through that threshold, I thought to myself, I want to be an executive chef in a hotel. I want to work in a resort. I want to travel. 
um, I want to own my own restaurant, which I've done now five or six times. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'd never want to go back to the same place again. That was one big one. And I've never, ever worked in the same business twice. Um, even though people have asked me to come back, um, it's just been one of those things to keep moving forward. It's always yeah. been my plan just to keep going forward. And, you know, because there's, there's so many opportunities in life that, that if you get, if you just, if you just take the step, I think my dad taught me bravery because he was always changing stuff. He was always, he was traveling from country to country from, he rode a motorcycle from Colombo to London to see the coronation of the queen. He married a woman, a European woman and brought her back to Sri Lanka. Um, you know, he traveled when he was younger. He was in the military. Um, my, and my mum followed. My mum was just as much of an adventurer. So that sense of adventure and the sense of, um, I guess, wanting to discover new things has never left me. And um, even when we came here nine, nearly 10 years ago now, January would be 10 years, I think, um, I had an argument with a taxi driver because we left, lived in Zetland, which is 10 minutes from the airport in Sydney. And my biggest fear of my travels, and at that time I was away for six months of the year, whether it was working for Dilma, doing tours, um, doing gigs in hotels, whatever. So uh, filming shows, whatever it was, I was always away, coming and going. And I, you have many dreads in life. My big dread was getting into a stinking cab with a Sydney cabbie who'd be pissed off because you only had a $10, $10 ride and he'd been in the queue for 10 minutes or two hours. Yeah. And so I was always ready. You'd get into that cab and you'd be, right, say something and I'm going to go you. And so it was never a fun 10-minute ride because <laughs> they were not happy because they were just out of the zone so they couldn't zip back and get to the top of the line again. So that was the catalyst for us moving. I just went one day, had that, had this massive argument with the taxi driver. I purposely opened all his doors and boot, pulled something out of his, out of his boot, just threw it on the ground and walked into the house and just said to Karen, that's it, let's go. We go. Because at that time I was FIFOing between here and between Noosa and um, Sydney. And I was just thinking, well, hang on, there's something wrong here. If I need to go to Sydney, I'll fly there. We don't need to live there when, when we've got this paradise that yeah. we do actually live in. I think everyone needs to have an argument with a cabbie and leave the door open at least once. Yeah, it's fun because I have to get out of the cab. Yeah, I've done that yeah. <laughs> with a pole so he couldn't even drive forward and sort of have it close. <laughs> that was in Melbourne once. Um, yeah, that, that, you, you've had an amazing venture and I, and, um, I, uh, I wanted to quickly rip into the ones. Uh, you, you work for some cool cats in Sydney. Yeah. Then you ended up going through Fiji, Vanuatu. Let's touch on that a bit because otherwise we're going to be here for four hours. Yep, well, which I know you don't have a lot of time today. My Pacific do. experience started with meeting Karen, my wife, who's yep. a sixth generation uh, colonial Fijian. I think she might be the seventh. Um, you know, that's another story to be told another day. But I always looked at Fiji and thought it's a holiday destination because I was... I, you know, from the day I, I started earning $60 a week, every single year I put a third of my salary away. And every single year I had, excuse me, four weeks holiday and I went somewhere crazy. The first trip away, I was not even 17. I went to Thailand by myself. That's another story. <laughs> was, I'm lucky I'm back. Yeah, to be yeah. honest, I'm lucky I survived that one because it started at the airport yeah. and it was, it was on. Taxi driver. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was some tout at the airport. But anyway, so I've always wanted to uh, travel, but Fiji, didn't, the Pacific didn't 
excite me because I always thought it was just a holiday destination. Yeah. And then the opportunity came up while we were running Flying Fish that the head of food and beverage for Starwood International discovered Flying Fish. I happened to have a vehicle because our, our um, business was very remote, very much like Alba. And so I'm very used to... Um, I'm very used to remote restaurants, which people say, well, you have, it's a destination. There's nothing wrong with a destination restaurant as long as you pull it off, um, which I'm trying to do right now. So um, at 2.30, cabbies again, there's no cabs because it was change over time. They never thought about it. They never thought about restaurants and that in Sydney, I think it's changed now, but at 2.30, you could not get a cab. So the cabbies would all go back to the base and then the cabbie, uh, new cabbies would get in and they'd start slowly and there was never a cab. So all these business people started to really say to us, this is too hard to get back to the office. So we, I, I got sponsored by Audi, got one, a brand new Audi, uh, uh, what was it, Q7 or something I think they're called, but it was V8. I lost my license in like <laughs> 20 minutes. I got clocked the back of, back of um, Sydney <laughs> going too fast. I didn't lose my license. I lost half of it. Um, and learnt my lesson. Anyway, so I've was, I was done around into Macquarie Street, came back around. There was a guy standing out the front. He hopped in, shook my hand. I'm Martin Jones. I'm uh, head of Starwood Food and Beverage. Um, I've been to your restaurant three times now. We really like it. We'd like you to come to Fiji and open a restaurant in Fiji. That's basically was the conversation. During this time... How do I get my Q7 there? Yeah, no. no that, that got taken off me a little while later. And I went, I bought a, we bought a Mercedes van, which worked a bit better and was slower. Um, and so during this time too, there was a bit of was tension, tension in the flying fish. And my business partners who wanted to stay silent all of a sudden because it was booming and doing so well... I guess through pressure of, from, from behind the scenes, we're starting to say, well, you keep saying you own the place. But it's like, that's what we decided because you didn't want to take the risk. You had the money, yes, but you didn't want to take the risk of losing your reputation. So I took the entire risk and now it's booming. You're kind of, anyway, another story again. So there was tension. Fiji came up. I cut the deal. I, I went there for the first time and was blown away. The people the the place the islands the the vibe the the incredible humanity that the fijians have um there's nothing bad i can say about fijians and and when i left prior to that actually i'd already been to fiji because prior to that i left bilson's which i was there for seven years and i got a job with henry crawford running his beautiful little resort in batalele and that was my out, Karen and I, she was young, she was the assistant manager, I was, I was the head chef. Tiny little island with eight luxury bourrées. Everything paid for, so there's a wine cellar, Verve on tap, it was incredible, and all the who's who came. Met some incredible characters, another story. Um, and so I loved Fiji, this opportunity came, we went back again, and same discovery of beautiful people. And then a few years after that, we got to uh, filming. So I did my Sri Lanka, which was born on my first trip of Chef and the Tea Maker. So the Chef and the Tea Maker was when we took the seven chefs, um, eight chefs plus myself to Sri Lanka. And I engaged this young guy who was a digital vide videographer. And he did, he did this cool little video for me where one of my flying fish had detach itself from the, from the ceiling and swim through. And it was a tour of flying fish. Really good. 
I was struggling though, and I tried to get some big film companies on board, but they wanted too much to produce a TV show or a reel out of this, The Chef and the Tea Maker. So um, I said to Henry, quote low, this will be a job for life if you can do this. So along they came, there was a guy called Viran. I had him, I remember so many times sitting in temples and different things, telling my stories, and I could see him, one eye open, tears streaming down his eye, mm -hmm. filming me, you know, just because he could relate to a lot of the things. He was from Southern India. Um, and during that time, the boys, both of them, Viran and Henry said to me, we should do a TV show. And so we did a, we did a reel. I was in my sarong, sitting in one of those Hansi Putuans and just talked about Sri Lanka. And it took two years to get the first TV show done because the war was going on. And there was, you know, that's another story again. But the second show was called Island Feast. And that's when I got to discover the rest of the Pacific. And from Vanuatu to Cook Islands, um, they're, the people are different, but the same. That, that, island, that island generosity and beauty is incredible. Uh, and then after that, I opened restaurants in Samoa. And so I've, I've had a really good run in the, in the Pacific and in, on the islands. Vanuatu was incredible because it's so, well, you've been there, Graham, so you mm. know, but you know, you see kids and they're filthy dirty except for around their mouth where they've been chewing on a mango or something. <laughs> they've been voted the happiest people in the world. I don't know how many times in, in a row, you know, like it, it, it goes back to everything. I think in my philosophy is that you learn that you don't need everything to be happy. Simplicity is sometimes even better. Um, and you have less choices. So yeah, you know, you don't have to think about stuff. Well, you know, I heard a rant by one of our well-known um, shock jocks about uh, Greta Grunberg, and he did bring up a couple of interesting points. Is that you know the people of that age who are who are complaining about all of these things, they are in air-conditioned um, classrooms. They're using modern devices, and you know. We all contribute and we all expect the things that we expect in the modern life, we don't really need mm. to, to survive and be happy, but we are surrounded by it all. You know, there's a beautiful microphone in front of me. There's a computer recording me. We've got the fans on because it's hot. There's, there's, a, lot, there's, a, mm. there's a lot of things that we do enjoy and we, we do take for granted. But I've always said, throw me into a, into a tin shed, into a kajan shed anywhere in the world. As long as there's fish and root vegetables, I'll, I'll be happy. I'll be happy to live that life. Um, sometimes I think like this morning, wouldn't it be better to, <laughs> to be thinking, I can't wait. We just had a full moon go. So we're in, whenever we're in Fiji, when the full moon came, you get the super low tide so you could walk along the reef and you could pick up your giant clams and other things. And, you know, the tourists used to freak out. Why are you doing this? And I said, there's a thousand people on this island. There's petroglyphs on the wall that are three and a half thousand years old. So... This group of people have been here for a minimum of three and a half thousand years. And prior to that, they came from Africa because there's pottery that dates back even beyond that. Every full moon, they've walked this reef. But when you dive it, the reef is still perfect because the balance is there between how many people will walk that reef and how many people won't. And you brought up another good thing. Things were easy. So now in a lot of the villages, you'll find in Fiji, mostly where the villages are, it's on the other side of the island. Very smart because when a cyclone comes, it smashes the resort. It never. If the Fijians live on the on one side of the island, and go. Oh, it's not as picturesque as that side. 
There's a reason. Yeah. That's where the cyclones don't touch. They've got insurance. They, Build it there. They do. They're smart. Yeah, exactly. But the other thing is that there's plastic everywhere now, unfortunately. Yeah. Whereas before, and this is the thing, it's a mentality. Before you'd go to the shops, even in Sri Lanka, we'd go to the market outside our house. You'd buy something. It was wrapped in a leaf, in one of these elephant ear leaves or any other leaf. And when you finish, you just threw it away. So that mentality is still there. You know, there's a pool in Vatalele. It's beautifully emerald green on the bottom and there are red prawns in it. And it's a good way to finish this maybe. So the princess of Vatalele said to all the young princes of Fiji, if you want me, come and see me. And if you can make it across the, the sea and you bring me a nice present, then you will win me. So many princes tried, most of them, most of them failed um, trying to cross over because it's, it's a long way. And one made it and all he brought her was some prawns, cooked prawns wrapped in a banana leaf. And so when he presented it to her, she was very impressed that he made it, but the gift was not worthy of her and she dismissed him. So this poor guy walked to the grotto. There was this incredible grotto, the entire island was just full of caves and fresh water and there was water, fresh water just sprung up out of the ground. And this one place that we, not many people knew, it's called the Red Prawn Pool, very sacred place. And they always said, if you touch a red prawn, if you hurt a red prawn, something will happen. And generally, because they believed it so much, they just lay down and died. Like people believed things so much that if someone did, something happened and they went, there you go. So anyway, this poor prince who's forlorn, jumped off the high cliff into the water. And as he jumped off, the banana leaf opened up and it coated the bottom of the pool. And then as he died, the cooked prawns came to life and that's where the red prawns come from. So there's red prawns also in Vanuatu. So I always thought it was unique to just that pool. But then when I was at the W Sentosa, which I was just looking at recipes from before, um, they have Vanuatu red prawns. I don't know whether you've ever seen them. Looks like a giant oh, king prawn, I but they're they red. they were really, really, really deep sea and they didn't use them at one point. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're very spiky and bony, yeah. but, you know, in some of the hotels it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a thing. Yeah. Anyway, there's, there's so many stories. We could talk for hours, mate. Yeah. I just can't wait to do our trip. Um, we'll yeah. be able to celebrate your birthday over there. Yeah, and, that'd be good. Uh, I'm actually very serious hopefully, about that. Hopefully it's not your birthday too because pretty much every single time I've been, it's been someone else's birthday and they've been younger. When it was my 50th, and I thought, that's it, they're going to celebrate mine. Some guy had his 21st. <laughs> <laughs> so, Guyan, if you're listening, you know it's you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I uh, turned 50 in January. So, yeah, not, not my birthday. Yeah. Mate, thank you very much for being a part of this. It's a um, pleasure. Yeah, there's, there's lots to do and I'm sure we'll do it again. So congratulations yeah, on the new it. restaurant. And uh, I know that a lot of these uh, philosophies and ways of thinking and uh, how you treat your staff and how you attract guests and please them and uh, is all a part of the culture and your story. So uh, I'm sure it'll be a great experience for everybody. Thank you. And uh, Merry Christmas. I think I'm last, aren't I? Maybe. You are last. Maybe. Yes. And if yes. not, Merry Christmas anyway, because yeah. yeah, there's only right. 31 days to yeah. go. Yeah. My yeah. God. Okay. Thank you. And that was Peter Kiravita. Thank you very much, Peter. That wraps up the season. That wraps up our podcast season for 2021. 
And uh, it's been really awesome to talk to these guys. We truly get a buzz out of uh, interviewing everyone and getting to know them better. And we hope that you guys do as well. And I just want to say a really big thank you to everyone that's worked on the podcast and everyone that is working in all the sheds and all the warehouses that we have at Suncoast Fresh and Fruitlink doing uh, such a tremendous job. And I'm really, really proud of, of everyone. Now, if they don't do that job right, we can't be doing this podcast. So I want to say a big thank you to everyone. It's a silly season, so we're about to jump into extra all hands on deck, get a job, get the job done, get orders on time, right, inspect, and all the things that we promised throughout the year. We know that it's game on, so don't hesitate to call us if we can do anything extra to help. So thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll be back in about February. Uh, take care. Let's love. Bye.